give me a breather. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Deb. So when I used to talk to people about uh, working on the golf course, they would say, what's it like? You know, what's it like to work on the golf course, be out there every day and leading the crew and, you know, just sun up to sun, up to sun down sometimes. What's that like? I would say, it's great, except for the golfers. <laughs> They were so annoying. They're always getting in my way and always making me go faster than I would like to have gone. You know, they're just, it was just a wonderful career and job except for the golfers. I experienced so much peace, so much tranquility, so much joy in my heart until I saw one of those golf carts just coming across the horizon. Do <laughs> uh, you ever feel a similar sensation? Maybe not at the golf course, but my job is great except for that one coworker, Or my extended family, my family of origin is great, except for that one person that, ugh, they just, they don't seem to get it. My school is great, except for that one teacher, or that group of kids, or that person that I see in the lunch line. I just, ugh, if only they would be gone. My community, my church, my country are all great Never could be better, except for the people that voted for, or who support, or who believe, or except for those people who hurt me. Everything is great except for those people. The difficulty of the human condition, the fallen condition, is that we can easily identify, easily persons that are a threat to us. And then we can make a choice. We do make a choice. We don't get to. We make a choice, all of us. How are we going to uh, live life with those people? We might try to get out of, get them out of our life by 
confronting them or intimidating them or we might just avoid them altogether because we don't know quite what to do with them and they are scary. And that's what we find if we dig a little bit deeper. We are likely to discover fear. Fear is what keeps us from some people and from pushing them out or hiding from them. And they're all legitimate fears. All of them. Especially the fear of not being hurt again. Fear of keeping myself safe or keeping somebody else safe. Keep a, a fear of keeping my family safe. A fear of loss. A fear of change. A fear of overwhelm. But the most powerful one is the fear of hurt. Now you can make the point that the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders of the time, of Stephen's time, were controlled or seduced rather, I like this one better, this word, seduced by their fear of Stephen not being right before God. Stephen was controlled by, led by the Holy Spirit. And everyone could tell. Everybody could tell. Even these leaders. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. For the people. All the people he came across in Jesus' name. Do you think he wasn't afraid? I'm sure he was. But he was controlled by the Holy Spirit. And because the religious leaders were scared of Stephen and what he was doing and the change that that was going to mean for them, well, they put him on trial. Talk about a scary situation. But Stephen turns the tables by putting those religious leaders on trials. He knows the history. He knows the story. He knows the character of God. And he says, you're the ones who are opposing what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do now. Well, they don't like that very much. <laughs> I can't blame them. That's where our story picks up today. And try to sense, try to see if you can tell the contrasts that are present within this uh, text. There's some key words in the, in the Bible that if you're reading it, you can tell when there's a contrast of this type of way of living versus that type of way of living, or this type of person versus that type of person. A key word is but. But. Or uh, what's this other one that I wrote down? Well, that's the most clear one. Here we go. When they heard these things, the religious leaders, when they heard Stephen's accusation, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. Can you imagine? It's just like somebody sitting behind their keyboard and just so mad. How could you say that in the comment section? You know, on Facebook, oh, I'm so mad. That's like it. This, what's happening with the religious leaders. But, filled with the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazes into heaven and saw the, glo saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now here's, a, here's an implicit contrast. It's not actually stated. The religious leaders are so mad and wanting to push Stephen out and maybe do him harm, right? But Stephen, because he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's still trying to bring them into what he's experiencing. Remember at the beginning of his impassioned speech, he says, brothers and fathers, we're one. We're not separate. We're not divided. We're one. And now again, these people are so angry at him. And this is his response. Look! Do you see Jesus? Do you see Him? I see Him. He's right there. Don't you see Him? Come and be a part of this. Be filled with the Spirit. Follow Jesus. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
But they covered their ears. And with a loud shout, all rushed together against them. Can you imagine the horror? How that must have felt. I mean, I've never experienced anything like that. Have you? They rushed against him, and then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, saying, we approve of what we're seeing here. Here's another contrast. While they're stoning Stephen, he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. They're trying to hold on to what they think is right in life, and he's giving himself to Jesus. And then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he died. What a powerful passage. I mean, in terms of living out our faith, this might be the most powerful passage in all of the Bible of how to uh, be filled with the Spirit, which we read leading to this place. If you, read, if you sat down, you would read it all together probably of how to be filled with the Spirit and give your life to serving Jesus and be willing to face the uncomfortable feelings that come up when we make ourselves vulnerable, we put ourselves out there. And we probably never will have to face this kind of persecution of being put on trial. What a powerful contrast of being full of the Spirit, which Jesus promises to those who follow Him, versus contrasted with being seduced by fear. I like that word seduced because it's not like we choose to follow our fears and and to react out of our fears. It just happens within us. This is a powerful passage and example for us of praying for for our enemies. And that's what I wondered as I read this. Honestly, I got to this last part and said he's praying for his enemies right before he dies and he sees Jesus. Now there's something important to, to point out here is that oftentimes we can forgive people because we say, well, I don't deserve that. I don't need to hang on to that hurt because I deserve better. See, that's good that you're moving towards forgiving somebody, but it's still about you, about how am I going to live out my faith? How am I going to be right and they're going to be wrong? But that's not what Stephen's doing here. He knows he's going to die. How could he do this? How could we possibly do this, live this way? Well, first, Stephen remembered, he remembered Jesus' example. Jesus prayed for those who persecuted and killed him. On the cross, while he's hanging there, knowing he's going to die, Jesus showed the example of what we're supposed to do. Secondly, Stephen remembered Jesus' teaching. Hear these words that Jesus taught his disciples from Luke chapter 6. You'll recognize them because we know this. We know that this is how we're supposed to live, but it's so hard. Fear is so tempting. Jesus says, but I say to you that listen. Maybe that's the key word, those that listen. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Wow. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. 
do to others as you would have them do to you. Pretty good words. Stephen remembered Jesus' teaching. Also, Jesus, or Stephen, <laughs> Stephen's not Jesus, by the way. Just let me clear that up. Stephen saw this as a chance to live like Jesus lived and like Jesus taught and consequentially to be like Jesus, letting the Holy Spirit flow through him in the hardest of moments in his life. Lastly, Stephen sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit within his suffering. And he saw Jesus. He could see with clarity all that mattered. This was all that mattered to Stephen. To be with and to be like Jesus in life. To be with Jesus and to be like Jesus in life. That's what matters most. Now, unfortunately... The only times that I've landed on this truth is through times of suffering. I don't know why it has to be that way, but the only time that I've landed on this truth personally within my own heart is through feeling overwhelmed, through feeling hurt by other people, by feeling afraid for an extended period of time, like, I don't know what to do anymore, God. And slowly the Holy Spirit has helped me to see, at least in the past, and feel, to see and feel the presence of Christ within the situation that I'm most afraid of. And there, in that space, is peace. The peace that surpasses understanding. The peace that Jesus offers. And the opportunity, then, is to pray for the well-being of the people that I'm most afraid of. Because oftentimes, it comes down to being afraid of other people what they're going to do to us, what they're going to say to us. Are they going to get their way and I'm not going to get my way? Whatever. The clarity and peace that we're talking about happens most regularly for people. Do you know when it happens most regularly for people? Can you think? At the end of their life. Just like Stephen. Asking and granting forgiveness to others. Maybe they say, you have to forgive me. I'm so sorry that I've lived this way. There's a clarity about what matters in life. And a desire, deep within our hearts, a desire to reverse or reconcile wrongs. And oftentimes it's too late. There's a sense of peace. The presence of Christ ready to usher us home, ready to offer us a warm embrace. The, the most powerful hug or embrace that we could ever imagine peace that is beyond anything we've ever felt, even when we're out fishing. <laughs> I don't actually fish. Why did I use that example? It's a dumb example for me to use. <laughs> when I'm out hiking. <laughs> when I'm out hiking, you know? <laughs> uh, whatever. The biblical witness and Christ himself shows us that the way that we can experience that peace we can experience that peace right now. And the way to do that is by laying down our hurts, our grudges, our fear, our anger. Friends, we don't have to protect ourselves from wrongs because Christ was pierced for our iniquities. He was crushed for our transgressions. Let me read that to you from the book of Isaiah. Don't, let, don't just take my word for it. He says, Surely 
He has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we are healed. So, (laughs) just this morning I had to look this up. What do these words even mean? I said, uh, Apple Watch... What, what, does, what does transgressions mean? Because we don't use that word. I don't go home to Gina and say, this person transgressed me. <laughs> transgressions means an act that goes against a law, a rule, or a code of conduct. Okay? And iniquities means immoral or unfair behavior. Immoral, unfair behavior and an act that goes against a law or a rule of conduct. Christ was pierced for these things. He was crushed for these. Because hanging on to those things that are done to us or that we're afraid of, hanging on to them sounds a lot like a burden. Doesn't it? And Christ tells us to come to Him and lay down our burdens. To lay down those burdens. Not to hang on to them like this or... I heard it said like this, you have a grudge and you pretend that it's your little baby and you're holding it and nursing it. Well, here's the problem with holding on to burdens like that. I don't know, well, when I give Gina a hug, you know, it's like probably the most um, intimate hug of any that I experience. It's a, it's a big hug. And we hold each other close. Okay, I don't hug her like this, like holding on to my groceries over here, you know? And it's a long hug. They say to really experience the, the full uh, benefits, mind, body, and spirit of a hug, it needs to be 30 seconds. That's a long hug. Michael, I'm not giving you a hug like that. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> not doing it. <laughs> but friends, that's the kind of hug that Jesus wants to give us. And it's not just at the end of our life when we can finally see with clarity, you know, that's not my job to try and control other people. That's not my job to remember that they hurt me so bad so many years ago and, and I was right in that situation. That's not our job. Our job is to lay down our burdens and to let Jesus embrace us and that we could maybe embrace Him in return all of life to experience peace all of life. So how do, we, how do we do this? How do we actually try to forgive people who have harmed us? Because it's really hard. Like uh, another way of saying it is people will say, you know, let it go. Okay, well how do you let it go? You can know that it's good. How can you let it go? And I've been in that place for a lot of my life and then I, I've learned recently this phrase or this prayer of just saying, God, help me to be willing. Let's just start there. God, help me to be willing to even consider it, even for a second, without being upset or being reminded again of how I've been hurt or what I'm afraid of. Help me be willing. That's step one. Step two is, forgive me, God. Psalm 51 is a good example for this. I'm reading through it every night before I go to bed. Forgive me, God, for my transgressions, for my iniquities. 
and let your compassion flow through me. And that's the last step. Follow Jesus for yourself. And watch for the ways that the Spirit is working in your life and encourage others in the faith in the same way. If we can do these things, if we can get to a place of letting go of hurts as quickly as they accumulate within our heart, then we can embrace Jesus more quickly and just be in that place of peace and clarity. Uh, Stephen let go because uh, he wanted all of Christ, not just a part of Christ. And he could tell that he couldn't fully be with Jesus as he was about to be while still holding on. Still just trying to hang on to those things. Friends, if we can commit to this way of life, then life can be great. Life, all of life can be great because of the people. Because of all the opportunities that we get to become more and more like Christ. To see that every hurt, every wrongdoing, everything that we're afraid of is an opportunity to experience the depths of our faith in greater and greater ways. Life can be great because of the people, because of the coworker, because of the person that we're upset with or hurt by, or because of the challenging family member, because they give us the greatest opportunity to be like Christ and experience new depths of His loving presence. Friends, I pray for all of us, myself included, that we could have the courage to ask for the willingness to forgive others, to let go of wrongdoings done to us and even by us because sometimes we have to forget, forgive ourselves so that we could embrace Jesus as fully as possible. Amen. I'd like to take 